0: to true crime story time i am your host ivana estelle i was supposed to post this uh well i guess by the time this is up it'll be tuesday and i'm supposed to post it on monday but it's What is even the date? I don't know, the 27th? It was Christmas over the weekend, so I'm moving a little bit slow. So you guys have to bear with me. I am hoping also that you don't pick up on any sounds. I am not in my normal D.C. location. I am home for the holidays in New Jersey. And sometimes when I'm recording, people like my mom and my boyfriend and my sisters are destined to make the most noise. So please bear with me through this today today's case is the case of vanessa Bearden and olivia moody and i really hope that you enjoy it so without further ado let's get to the show Usually, when I tell a true crime story, I cover from the victim's perspective. Someone has gone missing or has been murdered. I like to tell the story and who they are and bring a reminder of the humanism within. This week, I decided to tell a story from the murderer's perspective. I came across this case from the podcast Sisters Who Kill. If you haven't heard of them, you have to check them out. They are two women who just tell these incredible stories of murderesses their cases usually cover their crimes and i was absolutely fascinated with this case probably because i saw myself in the quote villain and that wasn't who she was at all She was a girl on her way to having everything who succumbed to a situation that altered her life forever. And I believe so many of us can relate to that. This is the story of Olivia Moody. Olivia Moody is smart. There is no denying that. Growing up in Chicago, life wasn't easy. Olivia was born to her mother, Vanessa Moody, in Chicago in 1991. From the start, things were difficult, Olivia's mother was addicted to drugs and consequently left Olivia in the hospital a couple days after her birth. Olivia was taken in by her grandmother and spent most of her days focusing on school and spending time with cousins. In elementary school, Olivia's Aunt Paula moved her in with her. At the time, she had a daughter of her own that was around the same age as Olivia, and the two girls became best friends. The goal continued. Olivia worked hard to get good grades. She kept in touch with her mother as much as she could. And when she was eight, Olivia was featured in a Time magazine article that chronicled her mother's efforts to give up her life on the streets with the help of the Genesis House, a drug recovery center on the north side of Chicago. Thirteen years later, Olivia barely remembers the visit. But during that time, she drew a portrait of her mother and added the caption describing her mom as the quote, best mom I've ever had. Olivia knew in order to have a positive outcome in her life and change the lives of her grandmother, aunt, cousin, and mom, she had to get an education and move out of her neighborhood in Chicago. By high school, Olivia was doing incredibly well. At Percy L. Julian High School, she was making nearly perfect grades while playing cymbals on the drum line and oboe in the concert band she secured scholarships grants and student loans to pay for college she gained a copious amount of accolades including winning science projects being known as incredibly outgoing in school getting high grades and honors it wasn't that surprising considering her mother vanessa moody had also been in honors in high school It was postgraduate when she became addicted to drugs and entered prostitution that things took a major turn. Olivia knew it was down to the wire, that she would need to continue to do well in school to get into college and move out of her Roseland neighborhood. Olivia was known to be somewhat of a loner. Outside of spending time with her family, she kept to herself. Even though she was likable and warm in school, she never was in a specific clique or group. She went to prom with a young man in a wheelchair, and that was about as far as any romantic experience-wise for Olivia. Olivia was beautiful, with brown skin and short brown hair. She had an athletic build and round cheeks. Olivia had large, almond eyes and didn't dress up much or wear much makeup, but carried a really warm smile. Olivia attended the University of Arkansas in Pine Bluff. The school was an HBCU, and unlike other popular schools like Howard, Spelman, Morehouse, and Virginia State, it was not in the city. Pine Bluff is the country, plain and simple. If you were to go there, you could probably imagine a lot of fields and long, windy roads with limited streetlights. It's one of those places where everyone does not know everyone, but people are pretty familiar. By Olivia's sophomore junior year, she ended up moving off campus. She was 21 in 2011, and this was her first big girl apartment. When I was in college, I also lived off campus at one point, but my experience is a little bit different than Olivia's. I was at an off-campus housing that was home to a lot of college students. Colleges that were in my neighboring neighborhood, including Catholic University and the University of Maryland, as well as my alma mater, Howard. The building was big enough at the time to house like a lot of people, while not being super overwhelming. Olivia's off-campus housing was a lot different. It was specific, It was not specific towards college students. It was just an apartment that college students could probably afford to rent while also being in school. This was an incredible accomplishment for Olivia, and that makes sense. Who wouldn't want to live off campus in their own apartment? I can remember how excited I was my first time. The independence of my own place and the realization of my responsibilities, a new apartment brought new experiences. And for Olivia, that included a boyfriend. This young man manages to stay anonymous throughout the entire case and story. I've listened to podcasts, watched a short documentary, and read numerous articles, and not once is Olivia's boyfriend at the time named. This, of course, is strange due to the fact that the victim, who we will meet shortly, and Olivia are both involved with this boyfriend to an extent. The two dated for a while, but eventually their relationship fizzled out. Olivia recalled saying... I was in a rush to grow up. I lived in this little fantasy world where I felt like I could come to Arkansas, get married and have kids. I was moving way too fast, me and the boy that I was with. Once their relationship ended, Olivia focused on school, doing her own thing and making friends. However, it didn't take her boyfriend long to move on with another young lady named Alicia Jeffers. There isn't much about Alicia. She's managed to keep a pretty low profile since 2011 when the ordeal occurred. However, she was good friends with Olivia Moody's neighbor, Vanessa Bearden. Vanessa was a 21-year-old born and raised in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. She had a slender build with very dark brown hair. She was a mother of two and was close to her siblings. Vanessa did not go to the University of Arkansas, nor did the girls that she spent time with. However, she lived across the street from the apartment complex that Olivia Moody resided in. That is when the trouble began. The new girlfriend, Alicia, spent time at least a little bit at Vanessa's house. It's not specified whether or not she also lived near Olivia, but they spent a majority of their time heckling Olivia. I also believe that they all kind of lived in a similar proximity. It's not really clear who lived where, but they all lived in the same apartment area. Vanessa was a part of a group of girls that also bullied Olivia constantly. At first it was obvious, I stole your boyfriend, the man is mine now. And then it began to escalate to Olivia's appearance and the threats became more volatile. When it wasn't in person, the bullying continued online. The messages were usually pretty much on the same topic surrounding the boyfriend. Most times, as the girls would harass Olivia, she wouldn't respond. There were times she was reluctant to go outside and walk to the corner store because the girls would be there waiting and heckling. Online, the messages were usually one-sided, the girls just continuously picking on Olivia. It was an exchange on Facebook that would ultimately result in Olivia's life changing forever. On June 26, 2011, in the parking lot of the Sunset Village Apartments at 2611 West 34th Ave, things took a major turn. The dispute began between the back and forth messages. The thing about social media is it takes a lot to get information scrubbed. I'm sure if you dug deep enough, you could find mild Facebook messages when I was bullied in the 8th grade. So, 2011-2012, if you were to search far enough, you probably would find Olivia Mooney's exchange with Alicia and the other girls. However, on June 26th, 2011, the girls went back and forth regarding this boyfriend again. Olivia recalls that was her first time ever really responding to the posts. She doesn't specify what or why she decided to finally give a response but she fed into it a bit trying to stand up for herself later on in the day olivia decided to go to the grocery store she was going to pick up a couple of items and then head back to her apartment and just kind of spend the evening watching tv and doing a little bit of studying she explained that outside of this exchange From that day with Alicia, most communication was simply that she wanted to be left alone. Olivia and the ex-boyfriend were not together. They had a little bit of communication here and there, but Olivia was no longer interested in this boyfriend. And here's the thing. These young adults were in their early 20s. Fighting over a boy is so stupid. I cannot express that enough. Especially a guy that you probably won't end up with in the long run anyway. However, this went beyond just a catty girl fight over some kid. This was harassment continuously and all Olivia wanted to do was be left alone when she walked to the store that day. She wasn't looking for a fight yet the girls were outside looking for her. Olivia began to walk down the street, the store in her view, when about eight girls walked up to her. Colby Duke's was a good friend of Alicia's. She was a part of the group of eight that was there that day, but more so she was friends with Vanessa and Alicia and spent a pretty frequent amount of time around the girls. Dukes and the victim, Vanessa Bearden, went to the holiday apartments in Pine Bluff to visit a friend, Alicia Jeffers. As they pulled into the parking lot, Dukes reported that she and Bearden saw Jeffers hollering at a woman across the street. That woman, who was later identified as Olivia Moody, responded to Alicia that, quote, I'm not worried about it, so what's up? The verbal confrontation continued, resulting in a physical fight between Olivia Moody and Alicia Jeffers, and a fairly large crowd of people gathered around to watch. Now, from this point forward, I'm going to switch from... First names to last names. So it's Olivia Moody, Alicia Jeffers, Colby Dukes. Eventually there's another person that becomes in play and his name is Gerald Allen. It's just a little bit easier telling the story objectively with their last names. Dukes told the jury that at some point during the fight, she too fought Moody for about 10 seconds and that a man named Brian Caddy pulled Moody off of her. Moody then broke free from Caddy's grasp and ran straight to Vanessa Bearden who was recording the fight on her cell phone. Moody and Beardy fought for a brief time until Caddy picked up Moody, put Moody in his vehicle and drove away. Alicia Jeffers left Dukes and Bearden's company and Dukes and Bearden walked to a fenced-in shady area nearby the apartment complex across the street from where Jeffers lived. The two girls sat on the wooden fence while hanging out with a group of people. I want to take the time to explain Olivia's version of events, and then I'm going to continue this story through other witness accounts. Olivia said that the eight or so girls, including Alicia, wanted to fight her. Similar to Olivia and Alicia and their fighting. However, at some point, the other girls slowly began to jump in. Olivia recalled that as she was fighting, all she could do is protect herself and cover her face and ball into a ditch. And at one point, she broke free from the grasp of a person named Casey, who was trying to help break up the fight. She searched for her phone, wallet, and keys. Casey had a car, and the two drove to Olivia's apartment. When she tried to go inside, she noticed that there were girls out front. It was clear that they were either waiting for her or looking for trouble at some point casey gave olivia a gun it isn't specified whether this was right when the two were in the car or after driving around a while olivia then returned to her apartment near the entrance and she said that she was afraid of the girls and just wanted to get inside and feel safe This is when she saw the girls sitting on the fence by her apartment and she heard them chanting to get her. Colby recalled sitting on that fence with the girls. She was still high off the adrenaline from the fight, but about 45 minutes had passed. That's when they noticed a white Tahoe driving by with Olivia sitting in the passenger seat. The vehicle had actually made a couple passes the apartment building and eventually it slowed down and olivia yelled out y'all come on and come see me. and then the car drove off about 10 minutes later a man named Gerald allen appeared now it isn't clear who specifically allen is friends with he has a mutual tie to both parties allen recalls that olivia told him go around and tell them the girls are sitting on the fence to come around here if they still want to fight and jump on me." Alan delivered the message but the girls didn't buy into it and continued to sit on the fence. He then told Moody that the girls didn't want to fight. At that time, according to Alan, Moody was about 40 yards from a breezeway where he was standing. She began to walk straight towards him. Moody continued to walk past Alan who was in the breezeway. When Moody came close, Alan said that he noticed she had a gun in her right hand. Alan followed two or three feet behind Moody as she walked. When Moody and Alan reached the end of the breezeway, Alan said that he saw that the girls had disappeared from sitting on the fence, but that Vanessa Bearden was running back and forwards like she didn't know which way to go. According to Alan, when Bearden saw Moody, Bearden turned around to go the other way Moody pulled out the gun and shot one time. Allen testified that Bearden and Moody were about six feet apart and that Bearden had nothing in her hands when she was shot. After Moody shot Bearden, she pointed the gun at another girl sitting on the fence. Allen said that he stopped Moody by saying she had nothing to do with it. Returning to Colby Duke's account of the events. After Gerald Allen had conveyed the message, to the girls on the fence, Vanessa Bearden stood up to go towards the breezeway but did not get very far. Dukes warned Bearden not to see what Moody wanted because it seemed fishy. Vanessa Bearden then showed Dukes a little pocket knife that she kept in her shorts and covered it by a shirt. According to Colby Dukes, Vanessa Bearden walked about three feet towards the breezeway when Moody appeared with a small gun. Dukes heard Moody yell something provocative, but ran away when she saw Moody had the gun. Dukes turned around when she heard Vanessa Bearden yell and saw that Vanessa was holding herself and running at the same time. Colby Dukes ran for a while before stopping and coming back to the crime scene. When she arrived, Vanessa Bearden was on her back, bleeding. Olivia recounts that was simply a horrible situation. She says that she was trying to scare the girls and had no intention of actually murdering anyone that day. She explained after shooting the girl, she had walked back into the breezeway and seemingly disappeared. Reverend Barnes, who was nearby, ran to Vanessa Bearden and tried to administer CPR. However, it was too late. Dr. Daniel died who was a part of the Arkansas State Crime Lab, testified that Vanessa's death was caused by a wound from a nine millimeter bullet, which matched the shell that was found on the scene. Police immediately arrested Olivia Moody and took her in for questioning that night. Olivia was pretty upfront about the whole thing. She and Alicia had been enemies for a while, and to Olivia's point, she was tired of the bullying. She wanted nothing to do with her ex-boyfriend, yet these girls were relentless. Friends and supporters rallied around Olivia. She was able to be freed on a $25,000 bond, and for the next year, she was actually out. She graduated with a 3.6 GPA, and those that she knew actually raised about $10,000 for her defense. They also donated money to Vanessa Beard and her mother, who had terminal cancer and was also responsible for Vanessa's two children. Olivia's family also supported back in Chicago, explaining that this was a result of bullying. They held fish fries and car washes and sold raffle tickets to raise money to drive to Arkansas for the graduation and help with legal bills. Olivia's trial was set four days after her May 12th graduation. She graduated with a degree in criminal justice and was super excited about her future in her opinion her case was pretty much a slam dunk this was self-defense and she wouldn't be doing much time period she was so confident in fact that she actually decided to not take a plea deal a plea deal is understandable if you think you can beat the case because why have your record completely ruined when you have a chance to have a clean slate however the plea deal would have offered olivia to do basically no time in olivia's opinion it was now time to change she did in a cell phone video that her undergraduate career is over and she was ready to live a graduate lifestyle during the trial a number of people testified including gerald allen colby dukes and the reverend that tried to save vanessa's life olivia moody also testified in her defense She had character witnesses, and when it was time for cross-examination, she was questioned about the relationship that she had with Alicia Jeffers, as well as Vanessa Bearden. There were certain things that were not allowed to be discussed and thrown out that could have been really beneficial to Olivia's case, including specifics about the Facebook messages and specific text messages on Olivia's phone. Olivia was pretty matter-of-fact about the whole entire situation. She took responsibility, but was also adamant about the fact that this was a case of bullying over a silly boy, and her intention was not to hurt Vanessa or Alicia, but simply to scare them and truly protect and stand up for herself. After the three-day trial in 2012, the jury found Olivia Moody guilty and charged her with second-degree murder. Olivia was sentenced to 30 years in prison with a minimum of 7.5 years. In the jury's opinion, this was another senseless killing and a predominantly African-American city that was effective. They chose the maximum sentence for her case and it isn't clear if their motive was to make an example out of her or because they truly believe that Olivia should have known better. Olivia was interning with a judge before everything went down, and she knew the system. She graduated with a degree in criminal justice. The jurors believed that she knew she could have walked away or called the police or done something other than hopping into that car, obtaining a weapon, walking back to the group of girls, aiming and firing. It isn't clear what the best case or worst case scenario would be. Either she meant to kill Vanessa and Alicia, which is a double homicide, or she was relentlessly just shooting at people, which is also incredibly terrifying, regardless, Vanessa is dead. her mother at the time had cancer and was fighting for her life, and she was a mother to a toddler and a six month year old who now will never know her and also her nieces and nephews won't know her either she was 21 and had her life in front of her also she could have ended up growing up and changing her ways and getting a job of her own she just completed a nursing certification she could have ended up meeting someone falling in love getting married and maybe she would have even moved out of pine bluff but now none of that's going to happen Supporters of Olivia continue to say this was self defense and the 30 year sentence is excessive. John Tate, a retired army vet who had provided financial help and support for Olivia, said, quote, That girl had been threatened, bullied, and beat up before. When the incident happened, she was fed up with it, so she instinctively did what she had to do. There are a lot of supporters of Olivia, and it's not that surprising. I think sometimes we get super swept up in drama that we don't realize the long-term consequences. Yes, what Olivia did was horrible, but the trauma of being in a fight or being jumped isn't something to take lightly. Sometimes when we see on TV shows the idolization of violence, we forget that specifically is entertainment. Shows like Bad Girls Club and Love and Hip Hop, the entire Zeus network where women are fighting with each other, usually are suited with contracts and security and people making sure that no one really gets hurt. But to be in an altercation where none of that is present is incredibly dangerous. Olivia's situation made me think about my own fight. I was maybe a year younger when I was jumped by friends and I think about it often. I think about the idea of what decision I would have made if I had a weapon. I think about the trauma it caused and how it seemed like a laughing matter, but there wasn't shit funny about it. Olivia now spends her days in prison. She works on fields where she tends to crops for next to nothing a day. It's been 10 years since her ability to be up for parole became evident and there hasn't been much update or movement on whether or not she will be released. Her family, including her mother, Vanessa Moody, and her grandmother, Ernestine Moody, still have hopes for Olivia to be freed. Olivia says that she thinks she was placed here for a reason. She's writing a book about her life and still plans to be a lawyer. The situation, though a decade old, is so prominent of what we go through in our young adolescent making major mistakes that can alter our lives in the blink of an eye. Olivia's story is a lesson for many and if you would like, you can check out the documentary and it's titled, What Happened to Olivia Moody? Bullied But Not Broken. It was actually created by seniors from the Percy L. Julian High School where Olivia attended. As always, thank you for joining me. There are photos at the bottom of the blog post as well as all my cited sources. Again, a huge shout out to Sisters Who Kill podcast because if it wasn't for them, I would not have come across this case. And um, I will see you all next week. Thanks, bye.